The following is a KPV Media Works production. Choose your fighter. And we're on. Welcome to another episode of KPB Cast, guys. With me today, we have a guy who used to be in the FGC, a very well-known FGC member, specifically for Mortal Kombat out in Long Island, who we have here with us is 9.95 Phil. Phil, how the hell are you? Busy. <laughs> Full life. <laughs> You're busy, man. Hey, listen, it's... I know. Are you are you the owner of the of the Crown Trophy store, or are you still trying? Um, no. You're the head boss there, though. No, right? you're no, like no, the no. manager. Yeah, give yeah, the like the manager, yeah. <laughs> and guys, real quick, we didn't plan it this way, but Phil, he's going to be the fourth episode, what we like to call the history of the MK community here in the tri-state area. We did Shock, we did Summoning, we did James MK, and now we have Phil. We have him for a, a while. Let's get right down to it. I know your gaming history. Let our viewers, you know, you, you take it from there. What is your gaming history? When, How long have you been playing video games? Did you um, experience? I know you experienced the arcade scene, but take it away, man. Let our viewers know about yourself. Um. All right. So believe it or not, my, my, first, uh, my first memory of a trip into an arcade, you know, like almost all of us old guys, uh, is at a bowling alley. Um, you know, I, I played games like, you know, Pac-Man and Asteroids and stuff like that. And I, I don't know, I was like five or six or something like, you know, in that, in that general age range, maybe I was, you know, four, I'm, whatever, you know, I still got to stand on a milk crate to reach the damn controls. Cause I'm, you know, short, but, uh, you know, back then it was like double milk crate. But, um, <laughs> what are you going to do? You know, <laughs> but, uh, uh, I think that my real, I, when I was living in East Meadow, uh, on Long Island, um, which is probably about 20 minutes from where I live now, but, uh, there were a couple of arcades close by, uh, you've probably heard some of the other guys talk about, uh, the Westbury Nathans. Yes. Um, you probably heard there was an arcade that was behind a food town in, uh, or no, I'm sorry, a path mark on Long Island. And there was a, a, a big, uh, a, it was a 24-hour deli across the street from Eisenhower Park that always carried the most recent fighting games. Oh, nice. Um, so they always had like Street Fighter 2 or Champion Edition. Um, uh, but my, my I, I mean, honestly, one of the biggest memories I have is super street fighter 2 um god i don't even remember its old release date but it was at the nassau mall and a buddy of mine who i actually attribute to getting me into the tournament scene um you may have heard his name here and there styrotech um i he i think actually... I, th I think i do remember his name i i, I sort of recall his name i'm not going to say i'm the utmost um you know expert on him but i i do recall his name so we we saddled up and jumped on our bikes and rode the seven or eight miles it is uh, that it was from where we were out to Nassau Mall just to play like an hour of Super Street Fighter Two in the arcade like the day they got it. <laughs> um, you know, uh, the majority of my arcade experience was actually with Street Fighter. Um, 
Street Fighter 2, Champion Edition, Hyper Fighting, Super, Super Turbo, Alpha. Well, I mean, all of it. I don't want to sit here and, you know, give you a roll call of the Street Fighter games. But, you know, everybody knows them. But I've played them, almost all of them. Um, and then one day I get a phone call from my brother. Um, you guys may have met him before. <laughs> uh, he helped run tournaments for a little while. Like I met him once. Tournament. Yeah, he went by the name Combat Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> and he's Jewish. Um, yeah, and he loved... Yes, he is. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he did love to swing that band hammer. So, <laughs> anyway, um, uh, so he gives me a call. He goes, you know, we have... There's this interesting game. It's kind of like Street Fighter, but the, the, the graphics are a lot more realistic. I'm like, oh, yeah, what's it called? He goes, yeah, Mortal Kombat. So that was my introduction to Mortal Kombat, and then I had to get on my bike and ride to that that twenty four hour deli, and there it was, Mortal Kombat. You know, so I mean, obviously arcades were all over the place there, and I'm gonna ask you something that I've asked basically everybody who's been on the show who experienced it. But what were arcades for you? You know, were were they just a getaway from normal life, or what were they for you? So, uh. So I don't really have a problem talking about this now, but um, a lot of people wouldn't guess, if they knew me today, a lot of people wouldn't guess that I actually had very low self-esteem growing up. Um, I had a rough childhood. Um, so for me, uh, baseball was my primary escape from, you know, after doing homework and all that, baseball was my primary escape from that. I, I was constantly on a baseball field. Um, well, even our video games was actually tertiary for me. Um, I, I was uh, a fairly talented baseball player, and then I was um, I was a springboard diver actually for many years. Um, and and uh, you know I'm I'm kind of proud of it. Although I mean now I look well not now, but uh, for a, a solid number of years I looked like I ate a springboard diver. But whatever. Um, I'm, I'm laughing because Steve is like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, talked. yeah, I was a springboard diver. Um, and <laughs> uh, actually, I was I was actually scouted for the Junior Olympics as a diver when I was 13 years old. So uh, athletics were always a part of your life. They're almost primary, yeah. So, uh, you know, underneath academics, it was athletics. And then... Um, probably around the time that the original Legend of Zelda came out. Um, it was, I pretty much just, you know, found a, a, a place on the couch and grew roots and played that game. And I never got back up. <laughs> uh, Steve has a side question. Are you the devil sure. from Project Justice? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. So video games were always secondary for you. So you say you found this... You found the couch and uh, say, say that last part grew again. Roots. Mm -hmm. I grew roots. You know, I, I took root and that's when I started putting weight on. I mean, everybody remembers for a while I was pushing 300 pounds. Yes. Jeez. Um, it, and it was tough for me to, to, you know, play sports and stuff like that. And so, you know, uh, I got diagnosed as a type 2 diabetic probably about six years ago. Um, I went full keto, dropped my A1C down. You know, I hover anywhere between 190 and 200 these days. But that was six um, years ago. What was it that caused you 
you know, to sit on the couch and play video games and maybe prioritize it a little bit over your athletic ventures. I never actually prioritized it over oh, okay. uh, over athletics. What it was was um, there was something in gaming that was different than baseball or diving or athletics in general. I could never control the flow of the game in, um, in say, you know, baseball. Um, I couldn't control what the judges would give me for performing a dive. Um, however, games are fantasy. You control it from beginning to end. Um, so that's, that's where... That's where academics and gaming, they kind of switched positions because um, at one point, I, you know, like I said, I, I grew some roots and started playing and playing a lot. And um, I began to realize, again, you know, because of the low self-esteem, um, I needed something that I felt that I had a little control over. Um, the gaming was exactly that. There you go. Well, since you were an athlete in baseball and, uh, and the diver, how competitive were you? with video games did your brother play video games with you or was not it not the way yes but not the way i played um so my brother um he you know played a little street fighter here and there and my brother you know he he's the guy who primarily played games like you know madden and stuff like that um not all sports games like his favorite game you know game series is uncharted so he liked games like that um, you know, my brother and I would regularly get into brawls because I would beat him in Street Fighter and then he'd turn and he'd punch me. <laughs> um, you know, and then you know, that would turn into, you know, a, a hallway fighter instead of Street Fighter because we'd be wrestling down the hallway. I'm like, why'd you punch me? He's like, because you beat me. I'm like, all right, well, what do you want me to do? Stand there and do nothing? Let you beat me? That's not the point of the game. What was the arcade scene like for you in your area? You said you had a lot of Street Fighter machines. I mean, everybody had Street Fighter <laughs> so, machines. But then you said that your brother said, "Hey, we have a new game. It's Mortal Kombat." You know what? What yeah. was the uh, what was the arcade scene for you like? So, I'm sure you may realize I'm I'm a little bit younger than the two other that you know the two other um, main arcade guys that you interviewed from Long Island with Jimmy and Nick, um, and both of them are. Roughly, I think Jimmy is a seven years older than me or so. Mm -hmm. Um, Nit maybe eight years or six years older than me. They're they're roughly in that seven to eight year range older than me. Um, so for me, when you know Street Fighter Two came out in eighty nine or ninety, I was like thirteen, fourteen, fifteen in that age range. I was born in seventy seven. Mm -hmm. Um. So even then, they were in their early 20s at that point. So our experiences were very different. Um, you know, I was not really exposed to that same element that they were because at that point, um, I was a little bit younger than that group. Um, I could tell, you know, hey, here I am. I'm, you know, at that point, I'm like, like four foot nothing, you know, barely 100 pounds, you know what I mean? Like right. here I am. I'm kind and I'm 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 a baseball player, but I'm you know, I'm a diver, and I'm like they're like oh, yeah. If I play these guys, it's it's not even going to be a matter of them kicking my ass. They're just going to pick me up like this and go, nope, time to go, and that's going to be that. Oh, so your past your past did, your past no, did cross with them. them in the arcade. Your past did cross. 
I'm sure that they I'm sure that they did. Um, but they probably just passed me off as you know, just some little kid. Um, I do remember one very distinct thing that I remember. I was playing at the Westbury Nathan's, and I'm playing Mortal Kombat 2. This was the first time I had experienced the anti-air high punch. And I mean, everybody who's you know, decent in a Mortal Kombat game or a fighting game. You know, they were always the best in their school or the best in their area, the best in their neighborhood. And then you go to an arcade and somebody inevitably kicks your ass, just absolutely mops up. And you're like, but I was the best. Well, no, I wasn't. Somebody anti-aired me. I couldn't jump. I like, and it was the first time I had learned in a Mortal Kombat game, your feet need to stay glued to the ground. Don't move. Don't jump. Especially in Mortal Kombat um, 2. Oh, God. Mortal Kombat 2 and UMK3. Just don't yes. jump. Stay on the ground. <laughs> um, but it taught me a lot about, um, about a lot about adaptation. It taught me a lot about, you know, uh, humility and knowing I'm, I'm not the best. I'm, I'm, I'm not better than everybody else. Like, I'm okay, so I was better than the six other people that I played Mortal Kombat with, okay? <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, so that was a humongous lesson for me, and it may very well have been um, anyone from that group of guys with Nit and Jimmy and Frank and all that. It could very well have been them, but that was you know thirty something years ago, and you know, I don't remember who it was. I just I'm positive it was someone who knew what the hell they were doing because they knew what the hell they were doing. I mean, you said it yourself, you mainly play Street Fighter, then you went and found this Mortal Kombat machine. You know, I asked Nit, for him it was obviously the gore, but also, you know, just the rock and roll that, you know, that game represented. James, it was more along the lines, he was working at Acclaim and he got a machine stuck in his face and that's how much, that's how he got to enjoy it. Did you take a liking to it right away, considering you mainly play Street Fighter? I mean, what was your experiences with the game when you first played it? Besides the gore Mortal and the controversy, um, Mortal Kombat was different. That that was the big pull for me. Um, you know, I I loved my Street Fighter two games. I played every one of them. I was you know decent at them, um, but it was Mortal Kombat was different. It was a different mechanic. Um, there was a different aesthetic to it. Everything was different. Um, you know, the block button was certainly unique and an interesting twist. Um, so I liked it, and I wanted to play something a little bit different. That was really just what got me into it. Um, and all my friends who were either... I don't want to say that all my friends migrated from Street Fighter to Mortal Kombat, because it's, it's tough, uh, again... When those guys were in their younger, you know, their their late teens, early 20s, they already had an established group of friends that, you know, if they were all playing Street Fighter and they migrated to Mortal Kombat, at that point I was, you know, junior high school age, dealing with low self-esteem. So I kind of didn't have a group of friends that migrated from one game to the next. Um, I pretty much just said, hey, this is different. This is cool. Let me play it. Arcade. Um, I, I wish I had a more interesting answer than that. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is, right? So, listen, you said it yourself. You're younger than those guys. But, again, you experienced the arcade scene. 
what what was it like for you? I mean, you obviously love arcades. You love video games, Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat. I'm sure you play Pac-Man. I mean, who the heck didn't? But what was <laughs> <laughs> what was it like for you when you found out that, you know, the arcade scene was finally dying, that the home systems caught up with the machines? This is like one of those, you know, questions I always love asking everybody who experienced those days. What was it like for you? Knowing Good that, again. you know, this is basically just dying and there's no saving it. it. It, it was good and bad. Um, bad because the the memories of, you know, kicking someone else's ass and, and, and you know, wrestling and jockeying for position on the machine, um, that was going to go. That was, there's something about that that was magical that'll never be recaptured. Um, even tournaments today... You know, you've got the head-to-head -head monitors and they're playing on opposite sides. And, um, you know, there's something about just just the whole atmosphere of an arcade uh, can be dirty and gritty and grungy and a little stinky at times. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, there could be people huddled around you and there could be, you know... Uh, in my case, it could be, you know, one tiny little pipsqueak playing a game and giant hulking man standing next to you. And he's like leaning on you like this and you're trying to play like. <laughs> so, I mean, back then, those were awful memories. Like, you know, you're kind of getting bullied. But now today you laugh at that because you like you. That's how you cut your teeth playing these games, you know, kind of getting bullied. What was the throw? Uh, what was the throw rule for the arcades you played at? Were you allowed to throw, or if you threw somebody, I didn't care. <laughs> I didn't care. For someone as short as I was, and at the time as skinny as I was, I didn't care. <laughs> I would say my earliest memory of throwing. So I was playing at. I don't know if you've heard this thrown out there. I'm sure both Nit and Jimmy probably talked about this place. Uh, Sega Timeout in the Roosevelt Field Mall. Uh, um, I don't I don't remember if one of them mentioned it, but, <coughs> I, have, but I have heard of it. So, man, it's long since gone. But uh, I was playing it at, I was playing Street Fighter II, World Warrior. And I had heard about this new tactic, this cheap tactic called block throws, which we now know are tick throws. And, and, you know, you pick Ken, Ryu, or, you know, you could pick either of the Shotos and, you, you know, you jump in with a jumping short. And you, if it gets blocked, it was basically an automatic throw because they were basically stuck in block stun. Um, I, you know, I had no idea what those phrases were back then. I just knew if I connected a blocked jumping short that I was going to get a throw and that I could walk right up next to them and just duck and keep throwing out shorts. And if they didn't, if they block, if they didn't block it, they were getting hit by it. And I think seven or eight of them dizzied them. And, uh, if they blocked it, well, two of them, and then I got another block throw. Well, okay. So after a couple of wins that way and knocking a couple of well-known players, in the arcade, again, not well-known in, in the fighting game community, but well-known at that arcade, um, knocking a few of them off, finally somebody beat me, um, and I remember, you know, a, a couple of those players were like, oh, I, I mean, you know, we don't like throwing, but hey, you know, you're a tiny little kid, and you, you won, great job. <laughs> you know, so that, that, that was a little bit of a confidence boost. <laughs> so, um, so arcade, But I didn't care about I'm sorry, say again? 
I, I didn't care about throwing back then. Like it was, you know, uh, I, I, I grew up, uh, I grew up an athlete. So you use every advantage to you in a game. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, in baseball, if there's, you know, if you're, you're, if you have less than two outs and a runner on first, you drop down a bunt. You know what I mean? Well, all right. I don't care if the catcher is, is, is slow and can't get to that ball. Well, whatever. Not, not my problem. You play to win. I'm sure not a lot of people will get that. I understand. I'm a baseball fan, but oh, sure. I, listen. <laughs> Excuse me. Wow, allergies acting up. Oh, allergies are acting up. Oh, listen. Um, arcades basically are done. I know you ran the Castle Golf tournaments. You told me that. And, uh, you know, I, I remember that from a while back. I actually never made it out there because, as you could imagine, making that trip off to Long Island wasn't always fun, and I never had the days <laughs> available. But between the times that arcades, you know, finally get phased out, I'm sure there's a few here and there in between, but not like it was before. How long How long in between that time, how long did it take you to start up the Castle Golf Tournaments? Or did you go through a phase at the beginning where, I mean, well, actually, it's a great question. Did you know about the um, competitive scene? Did you have any small tournaments even before the arcades died out? I mean, how did you how did you eventually end up doing the castle golf stuff? So, I mean, there there were, and again, I'm gonna I'm aging my I'm I'm dating myself here by throwing out that uh, you know terms like EGM, um, electronic gaming. Yeah, and I, Come on, you're not that old I man. I remember I have a whole it. bunch of those. Yep, I used to subscribe to it. And I remember in EGM. There were, you know, they used to cover some of the smaller tournaments, like out in California and yes, all they that. Did. Uh, you know, so I I knew that they were being run, um, but I wasn't really in the the FGC in term, you know, as a whole at that point. I wasn't really into um, competitive tournaments and stuff like that. I just played as best as I could and beat as many people as I could, but. There was a really long time. I would say I didn't play a Mortal Kombat game from Mortal Kombat 4, which I didn't particularly care for at the time, um, until UMK3 came out on the 360. Um, so there was a time frame, a really long time frame in there that from the time the arcades died till 2006 when umk3 came out on the xbox 360 where i just didn't play mortal kombat at all um you know i played some sparingly played some some street fighter 3 and its variants and third strike and all that you um, know when, when umk3 dropped on the 360 it's like everybody got that game it's like, like yeah. what, what mortal kombat 3 freaking love that game it's that could you attribute that release to the you know mortal kombat community over on your side of long island uh was, was that what helped out you know you starting up the castle golf stuff or was it something else because again umk3 dropped with netcode and I, I played the game I, I mean it's been a long time since i played that version of the game so i don't remember how good the netcode was but again that that was such a big you know that was a big release man everybody got that game it's really funny. I, I almost would attribute the resurgence of Mortal Kombat to that release. Oh, yeah. I fully agree. Um, you know, I, I actually I got my Xbox 360 for UMK3. I didn't get it for any other reason. 
so, it so you, you literally you joined that list. You summoning and crazy Dominican are the only three people that I know of who got a 360 just to get UMK3. Yeah, I got it for UMK3. Um, my now wife, then girlfriend, and she, I, I had said, you know, I want to get an Xbox 360. I said it's a little bit, you know, expensive. At that point, we had just started. We had just moved in together. She had just started her teaching job. Um, and I said, yeah, you know, come, come like November ish or so. I want to get an Xbox 360. And she said, ah, you know what? Wait on it. Let's see what money is like and all that. We got rent to pay and all that. So then I, I found out that, uh, for the holidays that year, um, she had gone out and purchased me an Xbox 360. Um, and then I was able to get, uh, UMK3 just after its release when she bought me the, the system. Um, would, would the reaction have been the same if it was MK2? It was identical because I bought my PS3 for Mortal Kombat 2. <laughs> <laughs> it was identical. That's awesome. Um, well, you know, you, it's actually, you, you bought it and, you know, you, you fired it up. How, how happy were you, man? Did, did, did it bring back oh, some feelings from the arcade scene or it's just like, you know, this is my childhood here? I mean, everybody played right, that so game. All right, so I'm going to throw something out here. that I don't know how many of the other guys may have mentioned it, but UMK3 and MK2 did not actually bring back memories of arcades for me. What it really brought back was memories of X-Band. X-Band. Are you familiar with X-Band? Is that the... uh, Wasn't that the arcade... um, The online system for arcades? No. No, no. You might be thinking of WaveNet. That's what I'm thinking of. Right. So X-Band was actually a modular modem that snapped onto the top of a Super Nintendo or a Sega Genesis. And eventually they made one for the Sega Saturn that they called... Uh, I, I don't remember that Net at all. Or something like that. Sega Net or so I don't remember. Um, but it snapped onto the top of the Super Nintendo and, uh, or the Genesis, and I had both. But then you plugged it. You plugged in a phone wire. And I think it was only a fourteen-four modem. Um, you plugged in your phone wire, and it it dialed up to a main server. Um, so you you put you put your system sat. You put in the X band. You dropped whatever game on top of it that was compatible. Um, it had. Uh, Mortal Kombat 2, Mortal Kombat 3, uh, Killer Instinct. So it had a good amount of fighting games on it. Weapon Lord was on there. Right. Um, and so I spent years playing Mortal Kombat 2, Killer Instinct, Super Street Fighter 2, and NHL 96 <laughs> on X-Band. Um... Was that one that was and called Wayne X-Band. Gretzky saying the child? No, no, that's not the one. I, it was it was actually EA Sports. It was okay. there at NHL 96. Um, I think 95 and 96 were both on there. But I played primarily 96. But, uh, I got I played crap out of Mortal Kombat 2 on there. Um, and it was so mind-blowing to me that I could sit in my room with my Super Nintendo, and play Mortal Kombat 2 nonstop against people from wherever. Um, And this was on Super Nintendo or Sega Genesis. So 
when these games came out on Xbox 360 and they were much closer to the arcade, um, it really brought back more memories of X-Band than, uh, than it did for the arcades. Because, you know, again, my biggest memories of arcades were playing games like this. <laughs> because I was being pushed around, I was the smaller kid. Um, so for me... The best, you know, the memories that I got were those of playing on X-Band and sitting in front of my console, in front of my TV, playing these games against people from across the country, um, which is basically what was introduced with the net code for UMK3 on 360 and Mortal Kombat 2 on PS3. So, you know, I mean, we, we already went through that. You know, you went and bought, bought the system for UMK3, bought a PS3 for MK2. When did you start attend? Well, who contacted you about locals for Mortal Kombat? Because if there's one thing that we learned from James and Nit, and to a certain extent, Shock, you know, Long Island is a hotbed of Mortal Kombat players. All right. So what happened was this. Um, I was basically just playing whatever small bits of Street Fighter on... Uh, Mame and Calera to get a little bit of net play with that. Same thing with a little bit of, of Mortal Kombat 2. Um, <clears throat> but um, this is where Styrotech comes, comes in. Now, I've known him since I was in 10th grade. Um, and I'm still friends with him today. Uh, we text each other every other day or so. And he messages me and says, yo, they're running a third strike tournament out on the island. He's like, and I have a forum uh, that you can go to to look at. This was in 2006-ish or 2000, early 2007. And, you know, it, it was the, the website, uh, the forum was called Long Island 3S or something like that. So I went on there and I made a post about, you know, could I bring um, UMK3 on the 360 and they said yeah there'll be space you just got to bring your own equipment and basically bring your own players so i promoted it on ultimate mk and and they helped promote it too and i think we got an eight player tournament oh nice eight or, or so um almost exclusively from long island players who were on ultimatemk.com um the winner of that tournament was frankie bones and I believe he beat L.I. Joe in the Grand Finals. Um, again, you know, this is this is a million years ago, and I'm old, so my mind doesn't work the same way. Did you play? I did. I did. Um, what, I think I went one and two. Oh, one and two. At least didn't go zero oh and two. I, I did win my first match, um, and then I lost my next two. Mm -hmm. But that must have um, been a but, great experience, though. I mean, what kind of expectations did you go in there with? None. None. If you go in with expectations about something like that, you're bound to be disappointed or overly enthusiastic. Um, I was enthusiastic that, hey, I'm going to have an opportunity here. But if I went in with personal expectations of like, oh, hey, I'm going to win, um, I, I go in with expectations to play. And that's it. Win or lose, you're disappointed if you lose, but, you know, I mean, what is losing but nothing more than an opportunity to learn? Well, like you said, you had eight players first time you're doing this. You brought your own equipment. Right. I mean, 
you were surprised, I'm sure. It's like, wow, eight players? Okay, mainly Long Island players. Nothing wrong with that. They're still players. Away. Yeah. yeah, so what was your yeah, next was, move? Did you just did you just keep doing it weekly or however it was that it was structured back However then? often they held the Castle Golf tournaments, once a month or so. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, one, I'm sorry. once a month. Once a month, and did your numbers grow, or did it just stay steady at eight at the time? Um, they grew, and then they diminished, and then they grew, and so, uh, I think we only did about four castle golf tournaments before they lost the venue, or maybe three before they lost the venue. That they, they only did about you know three or four before they lost the venue, and then they moved to a place that was actually closer to me, and they only did one tournament there, um, and. They didn't have a setup in the main on the main floor, but they had a secondary setup in the basement for kind of like a bring your own console type of thing. Right. So I bought, you know, I brought UMK3 and we played and, you know, it wasn't a big turnout, but we had a good time. Um, you know, so it, it, it wasn't until um maybe 2 years 2008 or 2009 um before I actually went to my first major tournament which I think it was NECX uh, NEC10 um which coincidentally was one of the first times that um that I actually provided awards to a major yeah, that's right a lot of people it may have been the first yeah, a lot of people don't know, but Phil, he's actually he's the one that makes a lot of the tournament um trophies for for all best. the majors here. <laughs> you know, a lot of people don't know that, but he's your guy if you want a trophy to be made. Um, during your gaff, <laughs> well, I appreciate your... the shout out, but you know, <laughs> I'm your... not here to I'm not I, I'm I'm not here to advertise anything. I'm I'm just eh, don't worry know. about it. You got five seconds of it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Castle Golf Tournaments was that where you met guys like Dark Rob? No, I didn't meet Rob. Oh, all right. So there was one other tournament run by the same guys who ran Castle Golf. After they lost that the second venue, then they went way out into like Suffolk County to a play-in trade, which was basically out in Smithtown. I think it was the Smithtown play-in trade. Um, at that point, um, I was already part of like the ultimate MK and classic MK communities on, uh, you know, on those two forums. Um, and it was through, um, it was through either, I think at the time it was MKE, Mortal Kombat Empires, before it became uh, Test Your Might. And Dark Rob was on there. Um, and if anyone knows anything about me, um, I <laughs> the most honest way to put it is uh, I like to I like to get an answer. So whether the answer is yes or yes or no in the positive or negative, I like to get an answer. If I get ignored, you're going to get another message. If I get it ignored again, you're going to get yet another message. So I like to get an answer one way or another, yes or no. Um, and I'm sure it's probably annoyed the piss out of a lot of people. Uh, but it's who I am, and I like to have an answer. Um, so uh, my first interaction with Rob was probably very annoying for him. Um, and now 
Uh, now, if you cut the two of us, we probably bleed the same family DNA. Uh, he he is one of, if not my best friend. Um, you know, we've been down a lot of roads together. He, he's, you know, he's family. How did you learn about um, NECX? Um, Chuck told me about it. You know, I, I had been running the tournaments and he was like, oh, yeah, you know, actually I knew about NEC 9. Um, but that year I was not able to attend. Um, so my mom passed away in 2010, but in 2009, her health began to decline severely. So right around the time that, that NEC nine happened, my mom was really sick and I, I had to bow out of going Mm -hmm. because my brother and I were kind of around to take care of her and help her out where we could. Of course. Um, so I couldn't go that year. When you get to NXT, um, X was that you said that was your first offline major tournament. What were your thoughts about it? I mean, you see this, you know, it's basically at such a grander scale of what you guys were doing out in the Island, right? My head was spinning. And not so much spinning because it was more than I had anticipated. I kind of didn't know where to go. Like I said, I like answers. So I like a plan. I like answers. I like um, some semblance. I don't like chaos. And that, not not that that tournament was chaos, but everywhere you looked, there were people going in every direction. So, you know, we had a tournament going on over here. So we were we were stuck in the main room, which was the first time that I remember UMK3 at a tournament that I was at being in the main room and not in a side room. Um, but we had this big setup going on, um, big, 15 or so players, 10 or so players. Um, but we were cramped in this, this side and I had my computer running, the, you know, one computer running the bracket and then we had the system, so we could only run one match at a time, which is kind of inconceivable today, you know, when you have pools and you're running, you know, 10, 20 matches for one game at a time. We run one match at a time, and these tournaments would take us five hours to get through because everyone at that time, even myself, I was playing multiple games. I played UMK3, I played Third Strike, I played Super Turbo. Um, You know, it was my first tournament. And I had no idea whether I was ever going to be have the opportunity to come back. So I wanted to take advantage of that. And I played UMK3, Super Turbo, Third Strike. Um, I think they had an Alpha 2 or an Alpha 3. And so I had no idea at that point how much I was going to enjoy myself. I had no idea that I was going to thrive a little bit in helping run the tournaments like that. Um, I had no idea I was even going to be involved in running them at that point. Um, I was just asked to help run the bracket because I knew how to use TO tournament organizer. So I just kind of helped run the bracket and it just kind of snowballed from there. You know, obviously, um, what is it? uh, 2010 street fighter four hits and that revitalizes the FGC mortal Kombat nine comes along and that revive, you know, revitalizes the MK community. But before we get to that, you know, I asked uh, Nick, something and i'm sure i asked shock and i asked james and i want to get your opinion of it before mk9 hits we we know there's a hotbed of mortal kombat players in long island mortal kombat players in jersey why aren't there that many in new york city 
probably because um I, I would honestly guess that it it had to do with Chinatown Fair and it being a hotbed for Street Fighter players. Did you ever make it to Chinatown um, Fair? I passed it a million times. I never went in. Why not? There there was another arcade. Um there was another arcade in Times Square that I used to go to every now and then. Um I didn't go to Chinatown Fair because I Listen, you and I have been playing tag just to get this interview done. And my life got really busy from the time I was a sophomore in college because I was working full time to pay to go to school part time. Um, so I would travel into the city, work full time, then race back to I went to school in uh, college in New Jersey. So I would get on a bus, take an hour ride back on the bus and then literally jump off the bus, run to my dorm, grab my books, and get to my lab to do work, sometimes even 15 minutes late. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, so, so my life has pretty much been on just full tilt running like that ever since. So I just never really had time to get there. Um, I probably would have really loved it, but I just there was just not any time. Mortal Kombat 9 drops. That's obviously a big game changer, you know, for... Again, yeah. a, this is the time of Street Fighter 4. I mean, the, the, the scene gets revitalized. It's a new game. Here comes Mortal Kombat 9 right behind Street Fighter 4. And when you first started holding VSM, that's when I first met you. But how did VSM come about? Uh, all right. So... That actually goes back to my friendship with Rob. Um, during the the UMK3 days, um, Castle Golf and all that, um, Rob got into playing UMK3 because he saw us playing it at that play and trade tournament. Um, and then I started going to his house basically every Thursday night. Happened to be the only night that the two of us had free. I, I wasn't working late or I wasn't umpiring. He didn't have um, he didn't have band practice or something else going on at night that night. So Thursday night was the only night that actually uh, it kind of crossed over and where we could do this. So I went to his place and we just played UMK3 for hours. Um, and it kind of grew and then occasionally Nit and Matt would come over Um and at some point or another, we had realized that we had outgrown um, the space in his living room. Um, so <laughs> the, the original um, Gamer's Edge in Valley Stream, they're not there anymore. They're actually, they're in Valley Stream still, but right on the, the, uh, the edge of Valley Stream in Lindbrook. But um, he, he, you know, he moved after we stopped doing it. But so I went in there one day just because they were advertising fixing red rings on uh, on Xbox 360s. And yeah, the red rings I had, are tough. I, had, <laughs> I, I think I have seven Xbox 360s right now, and three of them still need a red ring fix. <laughs> Was it you had to put them um, like in the microwave or something? No, God, no, 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 no. You used to, you could towel trick them. Um, you just turn them on and, you know, you wrap them in, in towels and you basically bake the insides so that the solder points to the graphics chip would reattach to the motherboard. <laughs> anyway. Um, 
the things you'll learn. But uh, so I went in there just to get a red ring fix, and uh, they were they were um, talking about Mortal Kombat, and I'm like, oh, you guys are Mortal Kombat fans, huh? And they're like, yeah, you know. So um, Jonas and Christian, the, the brothers who are owners, um. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, no, that you know, we play and this and that. I'm like, yeah, I have a small group of friends. You know, if you ever want, we, I could bring them by and maybe we could do, you know, like a little get together. And they're like, yeah, you know, whatever, let, let us know. I'm like, well, maybe maybe on Thursday or something like that. And it just kind of it, it happened so quickly. Um, So I told Rob about it and I guess he was in touch with with Rio, who I didn't really know that well at that point. Um, and, and we all got together to play, um, and what I did was I actually did a birthday tournament. So on my birthday that year, um, we ran MK9, UMVC3, or maybe it was MVC3 at that point, um, Street Fighter 4, and Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3. Um, that was kind of the introduction to the FGC that the Gamer's Edge got. And they were kind of surprised when their entire showroom was packed with players. Um, and I mean, I'm not saying that we, you know, we didn't have some like 150 person turnout. We had about 30 people there to play various games. Um, and there were some crossovers, some people who played Street Fighter. They also played, um... Mortal Kombat, and, you know, it was cool. So we had a lot of people playing a lot of different games. It was a lot of fun. Um, and somewhere I could probably even find pictures of the original tournament, but I, I, where I am right now, I couldn't do that. But um, I know I have them somewhere. But anyway, the very next week, they're like, oh, do you guys want to come back next week? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So I just I started talking about having Mortal Kombat 9 next week. You know, I posted it on the various websites, you know, on the various forums. And the very next week, a couple of new people showed up. Um, and it just, again, it, it snowballed. Within the first month to six weeks, we had players, you know, some now very well-known players. Rapzilla, um, he showed up. Scoot McGee showed up. James MK showed up. And then out of the blue, Crazy Dominican shows up. <laughs> I'm like, wow, okay, and he shows up with Ryu forty eight, and then the next week, and then and then that first day, we were all seeing him play. You know, we were seeing a lot of Sub Zero players, we're seeing a lot of Scorpion players, we're seeing a lot of Cabal players, we're seeing Ermac, but out of the blue comes a Katana player in Crazy Dominican. Yes, and I mean, nobody had seen Katana played at that level in MK nine at that point, and. We were all kind of blown away by how good the level of play was. And it started making the level of play around, in general, better. Um, Rio and Robin really elevated, and, and of course, Ryu48, the three of them really elevated the, the level of play right away. And at the end of the day, I'm like, wow, you know, you, you I said to, to Crazy Dominican, I'm like, wow, you, you, Boy, you really know this game. He goes, you got to meet my brother. He's even better than we are. And we're like, wait, what? So the next week, or maybe two weeks down the road, Manny shows up, CD Jr. Yeah, CD Jr. CD Jr. 
we didn't meet um, Maxter until the week after or so. Um, or maybe it was the same week. Again, so long ago. But um, so CD Jr. shows up and he basically teaches everyone a major lesson on how to properly use smoke. Um, <laughs> and not in a fun way for anyone who played him. For anyone who played him, they were like, okay, wow, with these smoke bombs and teleports, and okay, this, no, not fun Res- to play this character. Resets, resets, resets. Yep. Over and over again. Um, did you expect you know, it to get so big, as, as big as it did? Did you expect Hell that? no. Hell no. No clue. It was by accident. Lightning. You know, lightning in a bottle. You're never going to see that again. I think the biggest reason that it happened was a combination of the hotbed of fighting game players you had on Long Island. Yes. The fact that you had, even though it was broken, a fun-to-play relatively tournament-worthy Mortal Kombat, which we had never seen before. Like, UMK3 had small tournaments here and there, but the FGC as a whole didn't exist the way it currently had, and especially with the revival that Street Fighter Four had brought on. Um, now you had Mortal Kombat entering the fray, and you had Street Fighter players that like, oh, I'm going to play that, and, and you had players from other games saying, all right, we're going to play Mortal Kombat as well. Um, I mean, obviously a lot of them fell off, but this hotbed of players on Long Island who are all just fighting game players. I mean, another name that you know, Spencer, Classy Sasquatch. He he plays everything, absolutely everything. Um, And he is well above average in every fighting game he plays. Um, One of the most unique fighters i've you know players i've ever seen one of the most versatile and good at any game he plays um but he shows up um some other friends that i knew from street fighter from uh, a gamestop who were managers at a gamestop and then they were they had moved on from gamestop but they were street fighter players they showed up to play some street fighter so it kind of snowballed it and i think the biggest um reason that VSM happened the way it did was because of how bad the net play for Mortal Kombat 9 was. Right. You had... You had... Net play had been going on for a little while at that point. It was fairly regular in fighting games on 360 and PS3 at that point. Almost every game had came with net play, no matter how bad it was. But now you had a small area like Long Island where nothing is more than 45 minutes away unless you travel to the Hamptons. But nothing was more than 45 minutes away. And so rather than having to deal with the inherent problems that net play caused, you could play in person. You could come and you could practice and you could play and compete and level up in person without having to deal with net play, without having to deal with the lag. Um, and as more people learned about it, we started having some of these major players show up and, and guest players from other parts of the country. Oh, I remember yes. when Crazy Bone showed up. He came from California. Um, 
you know, and, and that was pretty amazing. So you had all of these players from this New York area come and play. And then we started getting some guys from New Jersey to come, some guys from Pennsylvania, um, like Swift Tom Hanks. Um, you know, then we had Claude showed up. And so you had a lot of people from this this three-state area coming to play in this one little hotbed. And it was really a lot of fun. And that's the thing um, you great and that's seeing great to experience. That's the thing you mentioned. It just wasn't like, you know, 30 players of it's some of the biggest names that game's ever seen, you know, that made that their home. And that's why so many people traveled out from it. Like you said, Crazy Bone, he came out from California. He, you know, specifically just for VSM. I mean, obviously he was doing some other things, but if I have the right. time, I'm going down to VSM because that's where that's where the top of the top players play, you know. But, I mean, you experienced it. You were, you know, above – basically, you were the one running the show. How important was that for the, for the scene of that game? How important, was, how important was that, you know, store every Thursday night for the, for the growth of the Mortal Kombat scene? From what, well, from that time to I what mean, it I is now. It, I think it was the first exclusive – group of Mortal Kombat players in the country for the game. Um, you know, one of the biggest things we had going for us was that Rio showed up. Um, and I, I obviously I attribute that to Rob knowing him and picking him up and dropping him off at three in the morning. But again, <laughs> besides the point, um, but I, I attribute that to, to Rio showing up. Rio showed up and suddenly everybody wanted to play against Rio. Um, and then we learned that there were more players who were nearly or equally as talented at it as Rio. Um, and people wanted to play against them. So people started coming from everywhere to be part of that and experience it and not have to deal with lag um, and have an opportunity to play. And being the first exclusive, consistent, every Thursday night, gathering in person um, Mortal Kombat group, I think, I hope it was important to the growth of the scene. Um, I think it was, uh, because I think that more players began to realize, different pockets of the country began to realize, you know, on Thursday night, rather than watching the VSM stream, we could be doing the same thing. We could be getting together and playing. Right. Um, yeah, people ask me uh, all the time, so, you know, as somebody who is into sports the way I am, people ask me all the time, you know, oh, do you follow a baseball team or this or that? And, then, and the, the reality is that even though I'm a Mets fan, um, I don't really follow them regularly because I would rather be out on the field playing than I would be sitting at home watching them. Um, you know, I, for as long as my body will hold up, I'll play softball. And when I can't, then I'll go watch baseball games. Um the same holds true um, for gaming. As long as I can sit and physically, you know, if my thumbs still work, I'm going to play. Um, but I think that, that that comparison holds true. I think that groups began uh, to form in pockets around the country. You know, you had, uh, you know, EGP, you had GGA, um, you had Atlanta, um, you had Houston. They all started to realize, hey, we don't have to just sit here and watch this on Thursday. We could be getting together too. Mm -hmm. Um so I think it was a starting block, um, you know, and obviously a starting block is important, 
Um, but I think what is more important is that players began to realize that they could do that as well. Um, that they didn't have to rely on just watching something, that they could be part of it, even if it was within their own group and their own pocket in their own area of the country. Um, and that, I think, is what was so awesome about MK9, that, um, that it developed these rivalries between Midwest and um, New York, and pretty much New York through the, against the rest of the country. You know, a year later, if I remember correctly, esports, 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 uh, e something a lot of people hate these days. You were, I mean, if I remember correctly, MK9 got picked up by MLG and you were, you were chosen to be the announcer for it. I mean, I do remember seeing you right. like in a brown suit or something like that. You know, no, no <laughs> it hat wasn't on. A brown suit. <laughs> what was that experience? <laughs> what was that experience like? Well, how did you get contacted by MLG to, you know, be the uh, the hat? I guess the head analyst, if, right. if you want to look at it that way. So, um, Arturo Sanchez got picked up by them to do some level of production. I don't remember what ex I don't remember exactly what his title was. Um, and Arturo had been to a couple of VSMs, and I got to know him fairly, you know, pretty good through uh, through seeing him at tournaments and talking with him and all that. Um, and. All right, so so here's here's where um, here's where you get to see a little bit of where I deal with um, some ghosts of my self esteem issues. But I never like to say like, oh, you know. He said to me, "Well, as of right now, Phil, you're kind of like the voice that everybody attributes to Mortal Kombat Nine, and I guess that was true, but I never like to admit to that because." You don't there like taking credit. So many. I'm sorry. You don't like taking credit. Um, I guess, you know, um, there were so many more important factors leading up to Mortal Kombat Nine and following, and leading up to VSM and following VSM that are just so much more important than the small amount of time that I was even involved in it, um, and its growth. That you know. Uh, while what I did was enjoyable and fun and I guess important to some level, so much more have has been done by so many more important people that I feel like what I did was just minuscule in comparison. Um, but Arturo approached me and basically said to me, you know, you're kind of the voice of Mortal Kombat. You're the person that everybody recognizes um, it in terms of Mortal Kombat 9. And we I recommended you guys, you to... MLG and we would like you to come and do the uh, the first MLG MK9 tournament. Um, and I accepted. Um, and I accepted because of two reasons. One, I was excited about. Um, and two, because I got paid for it. And I didn't do it because I got paid for it. I did it because... Um, I don't want to say this is the main reason I did it. I did it because I was excited for it. I wanted to be part of it. It was great. Um, but the other reason that I did it was because um, it was going to be a rough month that month with rent, and I needed money to help pay rent. So I I knew how much I was going to make, and I spoke to my, my fiancé at the time. She's my wife now, but I spoke to her at the time, and she was like, yeah, go do it. We need the money. 
So that, like that's how I wound up doing it. Um, the experience itself, though, was it was fun because um, it was on a much bigger stage than I had ever done before. I'm in front of cameras and, you know, and, and I'm up on a stage and they have me interviewing Street Fighter players that I had never heard of before. Um, and, and, and like, like literally they had me and, and Soul Calibur players, they had me interview, uh, Kayani, probably, I think it was, and, and I'm over here, I'm like, um, how do you feel being the only girl player going in tournament up against these guys? And she's like, yeah, I've beaten guys before. I'm not worried. I'm like, awesome. Cool. Uh, Mortal Kombat person, please. So I know what, look like I know what I'm talking about. Um, so it, it was, it was interesting. And once they got me doing Mortal Kombat interviews, I got to interview James MK because, and that was a big one because he was so controversial at that point. Um, and then the big interview was on stage with Rio um cd jr and perfect legend all three of them on stage at the same time and wow like yeah it was fun i mean it, you can actually still find a vod of it um it can be found i don't know the exact link i mean i'm, I'm i know it's up there somewhere <laughs> you know i remember that um the first vsm after that weekend was probably the night that that was probably the most people there. I mean, those guys at the Gamers Edge had to shut down the power on us just to get us the heck out. Yes, they did. Yeah, you I remember. remember you remember. I mean, Bibulus was there. I do remember that. You know, I, I had a chat with him. I wonder if I still have his interview up. You know, I, I actually interviewed you once as well. I couldn't find that one. But, you know, you, you guys had the high of being at MLG. You had the high of going over there, you know, interviewing you know, Mortal Kombat players, even Street Fighter players or Soul Calibur players, which you admit you didn't even know anything about them. But... Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I was so green. I was so wet behind the ears with these players. I didn't know who they were. I didn't know what games they played. I didn't know anything about it. Meanwhile, when we went there, they put us up in a hotel. MLG put us up in a hotel. And... It must have been four, five, six of us in a two-bedroom room. <laughs> and I remember falling asleep on the floor after eating, I think, nachos with Bibulus. Who was the loudest, and who was the loudest snore? Probably me. I was really fat, really, really, really fat, um, and on the verge of sleep apnea, so I wouldn't have been surprised if I had gotten hit with a boot or had a pillow stuffed up one of my nostrils to shut me up. Um, <laughs> just being honest here. Well, listen, it sounded like it was a lot of fun. It sounded like it was a lot of fun. Oh, really? <laughs> Say again? It sounded like a lot of fun regardless. You had a fun weekend. It, it was. What was it? it was, was it a weekend or was it a whole week? I, you know, that, that. A weekend. Oh, it was a, a weekend. weekend. But again, going back and uh, we came back uh, the following week, we had like 30 people deep in there. Like I already said, Christian and Jonas had to shut down the power on us because we were literally there yeah. till like three in the morning, 3.30. I know. I remember. You know, everybody was there. Baby List, Shock, I, James was there. Everybody. Hitoshura. 
Shout out to you, Mario. Love you. But <laughs> I think that was. I still year... work for him every now and then. Oh, tell him I said hello, man. But um, I will. I, I believe that was year. You know, we were a year and a half in with Mortal Kombat Nine. And listen, everything has to come to an end. Eventually, VSM started waning because everybody started going their own separate ways. Some people started going to other people's houses. Maybe they just didn't like the commute anymore. You know, I, I was there till the end. It, like, why Why did it, you know, why Why did it start waning, you know, you were there, you, you let us know. Why Why did it just start, you know, just falling off the, the face of the map? Did, did, did everybody, right. exactly like I said, did everybody just decide that the commute was just too long for them? That I don't know. I don't know if it was the commute. Um, you know, the commute was, could be brutal for guys coming from the Bronx and Westchester. And I, I, I know that that was a rough commute for some people. It was like 45 um, I mean, minutes to commute. an hour for me, but I didn't mind it. I didn't work that night. It was a rough night. commute for you. And, and almost every week, you you all took it upon yourself to drive two or three people home on your way. Mm-hmm. Even going out of your way, I think you drove, uh, drove Mario home a couple times too, which was the opposite direction. Yeah. So here is a part that people don't really know um i was getting burned out um there was the start of believe it or not the start of the on blast show is what i would say was the beginning of the end um what jimmy did and has done with obs is amazing um, way beyond anything I could have ever done. Um, and he interviewed some people. You probably know the names, uh, Mr. I Got Bass and Sans Power. I heard of them. Um, who the UMK community didn't want any part of. Um, at the time, they were considered to be trolls and toxic on a level that we had never seen. Um, did those two ever make it to any offline events? Did they ever confront yeah, any? Yeah, oh, actually, they did. Mr. Uh, Mr. I Got Bass won a summer jam. He showed up. He won a summer jam. He did show up to one other tournament, but he took like fourth place. Um, and I don't remember who it was who, who told um, the the organizer that it was him but he recognized his voice even though he gave us a um he gave us a fake name but um one of the players recognized his voice and went to shock and actually was like listen that's mr i got bass um (sighs) so i was getting burned out and i at the time a lot of things have changed so let me just preface this by saying that a lot of things have changed since um, learning about Mr. I Got Base. Um, I, I do have to go and say here that the things that he did, um, yeah, some of them may have been a little over the line, but they pale in comparison to the level of trolling that goes on today. Um, you know, in a way, he was almost like a pioneer of trolling that that people have gone so far above and beyond that what he did and, and making fun of people. I mean, it's like, 
you know, sticks and stones. I mean, like call me names all you want and all that. Like, like that's the worst he did. He made a couple of videos and he called people names and like, I mean, we're adults. Like really, it's going to bother us that much that somebody calls us a name or babies us on stream or shows videos of us getting babied. I mean, really, does our on do our online matches matter so much? Are they that important to our reputation that you got babied in an online game <laughs> that you play for fun? I mean, come on. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like the man hacked your 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 bank account and took all your money so you couldn't pay rent. He babied you. Whoop de doo. <laughs> did somebody did somebody call him out at the offline tournament he attended? Why did he choose a fake name? Um, I didn't know it was him at first. Um, so I'm sure that, he, you know, he was creating chaos online at the time. And I actually right. didn't even know about it. It wasn't until after that tournament and people told me who he was that I went and I looked it up. Um, and yeah, I mean, so, and I know we went in on a tangent here, so let me kind of wrap that tangent up yeah, and get yeah, back right. to, so, and get back to everything. But so I attribute Mr. I got base for exposing Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3 for the game it eventually turned out to be. Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3, and I would say, and, and it's basically every 2D Mortal Kombat. I'm not even sure about 4, but 1, 2, 3, and, uh, and Ultimate have a unique quality of being able to attack, defend, and throw defense all at the same time. And I wound up very turned off to that mechanic. I love UMK3 in what I would call a pure form where that doesn't exist. But that's not a pure form. The pure form is the game the way it exists. And the way we played it for years was wrong. And Mr. I Got Base and Marvarasta and a whole group of people... Rio, um, AC1984, um, they really showed what this game was about, how to play this game in the most efficient and effective way. And Mr. I Got Base was basically the person who showed everyone first and started beating people with this tactic that everyone who thought the game was supposed to be played this way learned, no, that's not how you play the game. You play it this way. And there was this whole big cycle of, um, of, of well, you know, it's a scrub tactic. It's this. It's, well, it exists in the game. And there were no patches in the arcade back then. This is the way the game is. Now, how can you ban something? What are you supposed to do? Have a light on top of your TV that if somebody's holding block and presses low punch two times that the light goes on, and then you kick the person in the shin so that they stop doing it? You can't enforce that. So, the game that I fell in love with, I learned to play incorrectly. Because the, the Kara jabbing and the all defense jabs changed the game on a fundamental level. That in order to beat them, you have to use them. Right. And we know that any game that devolves to one tactic and or that over overpowering tactic that you have to use to win if it is an all-encompassing tactic 
you either accept it or you move on from the game. Um, I couldn't accept it. I tried. Um, I love Mortal Kombat 4 or UMK3 for the way I play it, but I don't play it the right way. I don't play the real game. Um, the high-flying combos and 60 percenters and all that. In reality, if you watch the highest level UMK3, you're going to see probably 60% of the damage all come from chip damage. And the combos come from a simple mistake. Something like, you know, going for a projectile and missing. Right. Or not um, not hitting block quick enough during a carriage jab and giving up your turn. Um, and that's where Mr. I Got Base exposed that game for what it is. And he loves that for what it is. And that's great that he does. Um, it fundamentally changed the way that game played moving forward. And all of us who were part of this UMK3 community, in my opinion, and I'm speaking only for myself, maybe resented him at the time for that for showing us the right way to play the game. And he did it by beating us, all of us. Um, and so when James, he got ostracized from the community, from the community and he got um, banned from every forum. Um, now, the bannings from the forums were because he was breaking forum rules. Right, right. You sign up for a forum, you agree to the rules as they stand. You break the rules, you get banned. Um, that just is what it is. Um, but his reasoning for playing and, and you know for showing everybody the right way to play just by beating us, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing inherently wrong with winning. So by all means, especially all of that following the rules of the game. But by all means, basically all of that spilled over to your work that you were doing for uh, at the Gamers Edge VSM, and it just, you know, overloaded your brain. Is that what you're saying? Where it's like you just got so well, stressed out. Well, all right. Out? So here, uh, so here's what happened with VSM, and the reason that I had to bring OBS into that. So the On Blast show started, and I believe their very first show was interviewing these two. Yes. Now, I had something very raw going on in my life at the time. My mom had literally just recently passed away in less than a year prior to the start of OBS. Um, so it was still very raw. Um, and though it was never directly admitted to, um, there were some profiles, some fake profiles that were created that directly quoted um a few things that I had said um, that were quotes about my mom. Yeah, I can um, see. I can I see had, where this is going. I had some suspicions about what they were, about who created them. Um, and then I believe at the one-year anniversary of the On Blast show, um, I actually brought it up. And uh, while speaking with Mister I Got Base and Jimmy, and I said, you know, that this is the reason why I was so upset was because this was so raw in my life at the time that you just really touched a nerve. So when he wanted to interview him on that, again, let's rewind a year, when he wanted to interview um, the two of them to give them an opportunity to state their case, 
I was really, really angry. Um, you know, how dare somebody say these things or copy my mom's words. These were my mom's words. Um, and they were used in a way to mimic me improperly um, or imitate me or, or the way I would speak improperly. Um, so I, at the time, I felt that my mom's words were used against me um, rather than them being represented for what they were. And leading up to that show, <clears throat> I was getting tired. Um, I, as you already know, prior to coronavirus, um, my life is extremely busy and extremely full. Um, I'm constantly hustling. I don't make a lot of money at my primary job, so I umpire. Um, so I would go, I would leave work, pick up my son, drop my son off, then run out to go umpire a doubleheader. And so I was constantly running around now with two kids. It's even crazier, but constantly, even before I had my kids, um, if I wasn't at work and especially during the busy season months at my job of April, May, June, July, I was working, you know, 12, 15, 16 hour days. And then I would leave, go umpire. And then every Thursday night, there was no umpiring and no working late. Because I had VSM. So towards the end of 2012, I was getting really tired. Um, it was consistent. And at that point, I was beginning to feel like I was the only one who had to show up. Um, some of that's my own fault. I made a lot of mistakes with VSM. Um, I accept those mistakes. I own those mistakes, but I could have and should have taken the opportunity to use other people who were offering to run it when I couldn't show up. Um, and I didn't, I don't know if I could say if that was out of pride, I couldn't, I, I don't know. Um, at the time I felt like I had to be there and I was the only one who had to be there. Everyone else could take a week off. Um, so when OBS had that interview, and this is something nobody else, but I think my wife, Dark Rob and Jimmy, and it's only after the fact that Jimmy knew, I used that as an opportunity to have a break. Um, and this is one of my big mistakes that I own. Um, I walked away from the community, including, um, including semi shutting down VSM. Um, do you miss it? I was angry. I was angry at Jimmy for doing their interview because of how badly I, I believe that they had hurt me. Do you, um, do you miss it? Yes and no. Yes and no. I miss the camaraderie. Um, I miss seeing people getting together and playing next to each other and laughing and and, um, and not having to rely on on this to send text messages to contact people. Um, I don't miss feeling like I'm the only one who has to be consistent. Um, if something like that could ever be started again, 
if I could go and do that again with MK11 or MK12 or Injustice 3, um, one of the biggest things that I would ever do is take advantage of the fact that people wanted to help me. Um, rather than believing that I had to only rely on myself. Um, there were people who wanted to help me. Ferlice is one of them. Uh, Rapzilla, you know, AJ was another one who wanted to help. Um, and I should have taken advantage of the fact that they wanted to, that they were there for me, that there was a support system that I didn't even recognize. Um, you know, again, maybe that falls back to my history of low self-esteem and, and needing a sense of control. Um, but by the time OBS happened, um, and then that interview happened, I was angry not only at Mr. I Got Bass and Sans Power, but now at Jimmy and, and George. And I remember yelling at James in front of my house on the street, you know, why would you do that and this and that? And, and he had a, he stopped me and, and, you know, he says to me, he goes, you know, if you wanted a break, you should have told me. You know, he's like, I, I would have stood there and I would have said, you know, that, yeah, Phil's mad at me and this and that. And he, he's like, I, I would have taken the heat for you, but you should have just told me. Um, truth is, what I really should have done is taken advantage of the people who wanted to help and tell everybody, you know, my life is very busy um, and I need to take a break. I'm, I'm working a lot. And being here every week is, you know, I, I miss out either on a night of sleep or a night of umpiring or a night of additional work where I can make more money to pay bills. Um, so that's what I should have done. So I don't know if this many years later that saying I'm sorry to everyone for just walking away the way I did, especially now that I'm telling everybody what was going on is even appropriate, but I am sorry for the mistakes that I made to a degree, because again, you learn from mistakes and I'm sure many other groups um, have learned from the mistakes that I've made. Um, but we were the first group. Mistakes were bound to be made. Um, you know, and I'm proud of what we did. And I guess to that degree, I'm proud of the mistakes we made because we were the first ones to make those mistakes. I was the first one to make those mistakes. Um, and so later on, you know, as I said, Jimmy said to me, you know, if you needed a break, you should have just told me. Um, Jimmy's a good friend. He's been there for me through a lot of stuff, um, through a lot of my, a lot of the places where I questioned myself in the FGC um, and with VSM and through all of that. Um, you know, when I wasn't sure what to do with MLG, he was the one <clears throat> as against MLG as he was. He is the one who encouraged me to go. And he said, you got to, you know, you got to pay your bills. It's important. Go pay your bills. Take the job. Go pay your bills. Um, so, you know, by the time that happened, that was the beginning of the end. Um, I took some time off. I don't even remember how long it was. Um, 
then Injustice dropped, and not all of the MK community liked Injustice. That's true. So even when the opportunity to rise, <laughs> that whole rise VSM gimmick that didn't work, but that's besides the point. Um, <laughs> but even when the opportunity to reignite it came, MK9 was dead. People didn't want to show up for Injustice. Um, Injustice wasn't MK9. It had its own issues. It had its own fans, and, and many of them didn't want to travel to play Injustice. And uh, so we switched VSM to an every other week format. Actually invited KPB to come be part of it as well. Oh, yeah. Um, and then it even started to break down further from there, where every other week was still too much. Um, you know, every other week, and we'd still only get five people walking through the door. Um, so at some point or another, it was the end. Was the end um, of VSM your official out from DFTC? Or did it take a while before you said, you know, I'm fully... It took a while. Um, I still helped run tournaments and went to a few tournaments. My out from the from the FGC. And mind you, yes, I was tired. And yes, that was my opportunity to have a break. But once I came back from the break, I was refreshed. Um... I was refreshed and ready to help run tournaments again. If if VSM wanted to come back, I was refreshed and ready to do that again. Um, more importantly, I had a little bit more perspective um, on how unimportant I really was. Everything moved on without me, as it naturally would have. Um, and that's fine. That's, that's progress. Um, it's also a person getting a dose of humility. Um, not that I ever really wanted to take credit for it. Um, I don't really like ad admitting to VSM as like my own thing or it, it's, I always felt it was very much a team thing and I never did it for me. Um, but I did treat it like it was my baby and I didn't ever really want it to be anyone else's baby. But on the other hand, I didn't really ever want it to die. So while I should have passed it off and said, run with this ball, I didn't. Um, you know, but again, when I came back, I was refreshed and I was ready to help out. And I went back to tournaments and I started helping run them again. Um, and ultimately, in the end, what did it was a message that came through on James MK's Ask FM, if you even remember what that was. I don't um, <laughs> Oh, wow. So Ask FM was a, a platform where people could ask you questions. It didn't matter who you were. Just, this is who I am. Ask me questions. Was this the precursors um, to the Ask Me Anything things from Reddit? I don't know. I don't know. Um, so, a couple of stupid questions about me got asked. And, you know, James answered him and told him, you know, all right, tough guy, enough is enough. 
And the last question that got asked is was was the end of it for me. Somebody asked him a question, and I'll see if I can remember it almost verbatim, which was, yeah, my wife was pregnant at the time. Um, pregnant? Or I just had the kid? Maybe, maybe she had just had my son. Regardless, that's um, almost six years ago. Yeah. Well, this was, no, she was pregnant at the time. Um, and somebody asked if, would Phil be okay with it if I came to his house and tied up his wife and son? And I lost it. No matter how credible or incredible that threat may have been, it was a threat to me. That was my family. That is my family. Um, that's overstepping a was, boundary that nobody should. It's that's, video. That's a it, line that can never be uncrossed. It's video games. I mean, for the love of God, that yeah. that is a crazy boundary to step over. It, it that that was the end for me. Um, prior to that, MKX was on the verge of coming out. Right. Um. And I was prepping the basement of this beautiful house that I had just moved into. Um, I was prepping the basement for a semi-revitalization of in-person casuals with MKX. I, I had the basement set up to have like six stations and a stream station, the whole nine. I mean, even my birds were there to annoy everyone. <laughs> but that... I had purchased um, two PS4s. Um, I had acquired a third one. And people were ready, willing, and able to bring additional PS4s for the extra setups. And then that question gets asked. You couldn't take and... that risk? No, I couldn't. I didn't. Ma it didn't matter to me whether that was a credible threat or not. It could have been, you know, 0.00001%. That's still too much for me. Um, you know, I'm about to be a brand new father. I was married only a couple of years at that point. Um, you know, this is the beginning of my family. And the first thing I hear now is that I need to be worried that someone I let into my house could be the person who made that threat. And that was it for me. Um, I shut it all down. And that was that was my exit. That was the end. You miss the um, FTC? I'm sorry. Do you miss the FTC? Do you miss the camaraderie with your friends going, you know, there during an event, a big event, you know? Because we already said uh, VSM is, you know, that was the biggest local. But do you miss the community at all? I don't know enough about today's community to answer that question properly. I've seen that it's become toxic at times but it was toxic when i was part of it um something that i've had an opportunity to do since the end the official end of my time in the fgc is something i didn't get a chance to do at all um while i was running vsm in tournaments is i have a chance to play um I never really got a chance. I missed MK9 almost completely. Um, 
I missed Injustice 1 entirely. Um, I barely played in any of the Street Fighter 4 games. Uh, it wasn't until MKX where I had an opportunity to sit down and really dive into a game. Um, so with MKX, and I loved, a lot of people are going to be surprised about this, but I loved Injustice 2. I thought it was a great game. That was a great game. Um, I've actually come, come back to play that game, and it really is such a fun game, Injustice 2. It, it really honestly is, you know? Any chance it, it, I get any so chance much... I get to play with the turtles, I'll I'll, I'll do it. Uh, you you know me and my turtles, so of course <laughs> now of course Raphael has to be one of the worst in the game, but what I don't care. <laughs> it's Raphael. <laughs> <laughs> but the the truth of the matter is, I really enjoyed it, and there was so much content to it that um, from a single player point of view, which is, and remember this now now this goes all the way back to my childhood. You want memories. I learned how to play Street Fighter by popping quarters into a machine on both sides and practicing moves and combos against players that didn't exist. I was both players. I owned both sides. So then Super Nintendo came out. And now I could do that for free. Or at least the barrier of entry was the, a Super Nintendo and a copy of Street Fighter. But... um. Now, the single-player content that NetherRealm includes in their games is so robust that I'm like, you know what? Let me try Injustice 2 just for its single-player content. And it was so much fun to me. It was refreshing, but also at the same time reminded me of the days when I would pop quarters into Street Fighter 2 or fire up my Super Nintendo and just practice combos and and play single-player games, and enjoy it for what it was as a single-player. Um, that's why I enjoyed that game so much. I didn't have to deal with the stress of running any tournaments and missing it, and I didn't have to deal with the stress of the competition because I could just enjoy the game for what it was. Well, look on the bright side. While you were organizing and doing everything, we got some games of Virtua Tennis in. This is true. <laughs> I still love Virtua Tennis. Hey, Phil. Actually, before... I think... I'm sorry? What was that? I was going to say, I, th I think, um, aside from Mortal Kombat, I think the games that we've played, we played HD Remix. I love playing Super Turbo with you. And we I think we got a chance to play a couple of online games of uh, Virtual Fighter 2, if I remember. Oh, yeah. Virtual Fighter 2 on the 360. Yep. I yep, actually still, I, I still pop in uh, final round uh, whenever I get the chance. Uh, there's somebody <laughs> recently did a tournament for that. I guess I missed out because I don't really keep up with uh, everything going on offline. I just stick to playing Doritos Crash Course all the time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, yeah, for my... me these days, for me these days, it's primarily Forza Horizon Four. My my older son loves racing games, um, and I I always had an affinity for racing games going back to the original Outrun. Um, so I used to play Outrun and then Rat Racer and all that, and you know, so Forza Horizon Four is just—it's just so much fun. It's almost—I I, if I could explain it, it would almost be like it's like a racing MMO. It's almost like playing World of Warcraft meets uh, a racing game. <laughs> hey, listen, Phil. Before we finish this uh, interview, and I really appreciate your time. We're just gonna—you know—I would like. Sorry, it was so boring. No, no, no. We, you know, me and Steve here, we've been laughing all the time. You know, whenever, whenever, you know, there was reason to laugh. 
But before we finish with you, and this is probably going to be one of the last times a lot of people see you, you know, especially everybody in the MK community, everybody remembers everything you've done. Do you mind playing a little bit of word association with me really quick? You know, nothing, nothing out of this world, just... Just a, you know, just a quick word association. I'm going to send out a name out there and give me the first, uh, you know, word that comes up to, you know, to your mind. Would that be okay? Oh, boy. You, you want to get me in trouble is what you're saying. <laughs> no, I'm not going to get you in trouble. We're not going to play that segment. Don't worry about it. No, 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 no. no. All right. Yeah, it's cool. All right. Let, what do you let, got? Let's start off. Well, let's pick a name right off the bat. Crazy Dominican. Talented. Shock. Perseverance. Classy Sasquatch. That's a tough one. Talented also. Awesome guy. James MK. I mean, old, but there's a million other ways to describe <laughs> him too. Um, experienced. Is he misunderstood? Very. Very. Summoning. Pioneer. Dark Rob. Family. Tim Static. Passionate. Storms. I'm sorry? Storms. I don't know. <laughs> I don't here's, know. Here's some fun names. Insuperable. <laughs> oh, boy. I got to go two words, though. Lovably crazy. <laughs> Furlease. Hopeful. Claude Von Stroke. Supportive. Vito DeVito. Another great guy from VSM days. Another one who was very helpful. Me. Supernetico. Positively Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> Again, two words there. Great friend. And, and that's because every time I needed help at the end of VSM, you never said no. And Phil, man, that will conclude this interview. I really appreciate you coming on here. I, like you said, we played tag for a few months trying to get this down, but you're a family man. I'm a family man, too. Uh, you know, unfortunately, that's what happens. But again, I want to say thank you, man, once again. And I know you're no, not really, you. I know you're not in the FGC, but do you have any ways people could reach out to you via social media? Or do you just are yeah. you just not on social media? Well, I mean, if people want to 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 talk to me, they can find me on Twitter. It's still at nine nine five Phil. And not to mention, guys, you know, reach out to him. He'll make you some trophies for any tournament that you have. He's the <laughs> go-to guy. <laughs> yes, I will. <laughs> and listen, Steve wants another push-up challenge some other time. You know, sometime down the line. But he's up and he's up for it right now. He's laughing like crazy right now. Oh, look at that. <laughs> oh, he just showed his biceps too. Where is it? Change the camera. Let me see it. <laughs> and 
Guys, that's going to do an, uh, do it for another episode here with us at KPB Cast. Go to the YouTube channel, YouTube forward slash KPBFGC. Look up some previous episodes. Phil's episode is going to be up there soon. And again, I just wanted to say we didn't plan it this way, but we did Shock, Summoning, James MK, and now Phil. That, you, that may as well be the history of Mortal Kombat in the tri-state area. I'm uh, Positively Ralph, KPB Raphael. That's 9.95 Phil. Have yourselves a good evening. Phil, thank you very much. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Hey, thanks, man. Really appreciate it. This has been a KPB MediaWorks production. This has been a KPB MediaWorks production. <laughs>